and welcome to episode eight of the Email Deliverability Unfiltered Expert video series. Today's episode is dedicated to a very relevant and painful topic for some email marketers, which is deliverability issue mitigation. I've said it before, and I will say it again, email deliverability is hard. There are so many reasons why your email might not make it to the intended recipient. They can be technical, you know, related to your infrastructure, authentication, or something within your email code. They could be data-driven. So maybe your emails are getting blocked or they're going to the spam folder because you're blasting to basically everyone you've ever come in contact with, or worse, you've scraped or purchased a list somewhere. Um, or maybe you're kind of doing, you know, everything right, following industry best practices and sending content that you think or, or hope that your audience is going to find value in, but you're still facing issues. It happens to the best of us. It's nothing to, to really freak out about just yet. But how do you know what's causing your deliverability issue? And more importantly, how do you resolve it? So we've invited Tamara Bond, uh, Delivery Operations Manager from Dot Digital, to join us for an episode on issue mitigation to help you figure just that out. Um, so Tamara is a delivery operations manager for Dot Digital. She's one of my favorite people to follow in the industry because she knows her role like so well. She just really understands delivery and deliverability, and she's able to speak about it in a way that I find um, you know people can really understand. You can kind of connect to that. So I'm really excited to have her with us. Um, you know, you can tell that she cares about her customers, and she's really helping them get to the inbox in the ways that are possible. Um, there are some that that I think people think. Are possible, but they're kind of just these, these magic um, buttons that don't really exist in deliverability. So we're going to try to work through those. Pulling from Tam's LinkedIn page, where she describes herself far better than I could, she is Dot Digital's mail server tinker in chief. She's got over seven years in bulk email delivery specifically, as well as a depth of knowledge in more general digital marketing and SaaS technology. Uh, she takes her work really seriously, but herself not at all, which is something that I absolutely love. Um, she's passionate about data-driven development, quality products, and taking a scientific approach in figuring out how stuff works, which I also love. She's involved with anti-abuse and collaborative efforts, both at home and in the wider industry and email ecosystem. So you might've seen her bouncing around at, at MOG conferences and things like that. Um, she's a self-proclaimed mistress of the dark arts of email delivery and a power MTA wizard. Um, she's enthusiastic yet cynical product manager, um, experienced finder of weird edge case bugs, and she's also a Lego enthusiast and also an aspiring Batman villain. So I, I guess I first of all want to say that I can get on board with, with basically all of that, except for that villain part. <laughs> um, I guess, Tam, knowing the role that, that you play within the anti-abuse world and just the larger industry as a whole, I guess I, I, don't, I, curse, I don't buy that. So you need to tell me a little bit more about why you think that you might actually be an aspiring Batman villain. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I always see the uh, villains of uh, Gotham as a product. They're a product of the city. They're a product of um, everything that's going on around them. Um, they're a product of the corruption that exists within uh, Gotham City. Um, and they exist kind of to turn things on their head and to highlight all of those, like, injustices, the corruption, all of that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's what I mean when I say aspiring Batman villain, like, being a little bit uh, off the wall, a little bit fun. I sometimes say uncomfortable things um, about <laughs> things like people purchasing lists or capitalism in general, terrible economic system. So um, yeah, that's that's where I'm coming from when I say uh, bad, bad villain. I'm not into like, you know, blowing people up and stuff, but uh, blowing up the patriarchy, always down for that. I like that. Okay, cool. That that clarifies things for me because I, you know, I just, I see you as one of the good guys. I don't think you could <laughs> really be a bad guy, but you're right. Okay, so we yeah, yeah. maybe Maybe that more way. of a, maybe more of like an anti-hero, I guess. Than, okay. Than yeah. <laughs> that, that feels more fitting. Okay. Awesome. Um, cool. Well, I, I have another question for you. I'd really like to understand, you know, knowing that you've been in this space, this deliverability space, email space for a while, I'd really like to understand, you know, what is, what is your favorite part about our industry? Like, why is it that you do what you do? Yeah, right. I mean, nobody goes to like school or like university. I mean, certainly nobody I've spoken to mm -hmm. in the industry went to school and was like, yeah, I'm going to work in email. Like, that's the thing. Well, they should. I mean, it's an awesome career, an awesome industry. Um, but yeah, like I fell into it. And the thing I love most is I'm a problem solver. Like I'm an engineer at heart. I like to see the problem, see where we want to be and like get from like A to B. Um, and, and delivery and deliverability just offers me the opportunity to do that on a daily, hourly 
minute by minute sometimes, depending how 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 much I'm flying by the seat of my pants basis. Right. Um, so yeah, so I get to problem solve on so many levels. I um, I get to problem solve obviously with uh, working alongside the team and with uh, directly with customers. Um, I get to problem solve when it comes to servers and what on earth they think they're doing. Um, when it comes to getting emails through to mailbox providers, um, that's always like a, a fun problem solving. Um, there's just lots of like experimentation, trying things, iterating over stuff, improving it. Um, and I just like, I, you know, when I first um, started working my last ESP and um, I got into kind of like QA and finding bugs and stuff. When you find that like reproduction case for a, a really edge case bug, it's so satisfying to be able to do, you do this and this and this and this and this and then everything explodes. Um, I've loved that. And and yeah, so delivery and deliverability, um, that's what I get to do every single day is just like find problems, fix problems, smack my head against the wall repeatedly while figuring out the problems um and and that just i don't know for me that's 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 a pretty pretty decent uh day job uh, yeah, I think so too. And it's funny, there are a lot of people in our industry who feel the same way where it really is kind of, they, they love problem solving. They love putting together puzzles. They love playing with Legos, things like that, right? Like where it just is that 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 kind of journey to figuring something out, especially like you said, when it's, when it's a hard problem to solve and you've tried everything and then you finally find what it is that's causing it. it oh, it's just, yeah, it's ultimately so satisfying. So that's awesome. Uh, great. Well, and I guess that brings us into to the topic for today. Um, you know, so might as well just kind of jump into it. I guess, you know, we are really here to, you know, to help our audience diagnose and resolve their delivery and their deliverability issues. And, you know, I think, as I previously mentioned, your title with Dot Digital is delivery operations manager, right? Not deliverability. That's a delivery manager. So I guess, can, can you kind of just kind of, as we start off this conversation, give us um, your explanation of kind of what the difference is between two of those and why people should really care about that difference? Yeah, so, you know, in, in real brief, when it comes to delivery, that is getting um, an email, or I also do SMS delivery as well. So it's getting an email or SMS from the sending server to your receiving server. So you're sending an email to a Gmail account, a Gmail recipient, it's getting that email from your ESP's mail server onto the Gmail mail server. That's, that's delivery. Deliverability or inbox placement is all the stuff that happens after Gmail has accepted that email. So that's where you get into all the things, the fun things of uh, asynchronous bounces and filtering and then fundamentally inbox placement or promotion tab placement or, you know, God forbid, um, spam and, and junk foldering and that, that kind of stuff. So the, the delivery side of things is obviously really super important because if you're not gonna, if you're not delivering your email, if Gmail, Hotmail, whoever is rejecting your email outright, even when you just try and make an SMTP connection into that server, um, there's nowhere, there's no way for a recipient to even go and find that email in their spam folder. That email has simply not been accepted at all. Um, and that can be due to some really like core uh, problems with a marketing strategy. Um, and, and until you address those really core issues, inbox placement is going to be neither here nor there because you've got like a serious problem. Um, it's also a really, deliveries are a really uh, fun and interesting area. Um, at least it is for people like me, others find it super frustrating um, because it's an area where mailbox providers are constantly changing the goalposts. Uh, reputation comes into it a lot. So better senders can send more and send faster and make more connections and more messages per connection and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, for senders not following best practices, they reel it back in, but they never tell us with the, with the email. SMS is quite nice. Providers tell us you can make this many connections and this many messages, and it's all it's all very very civilized. Whereas email is uh, is a bit more of a, a dog eat dog world, and and so you don't know what what the limitations are going to be. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people who try to do in-house email make rather than people who are using some kind of ESP um, is not getting that delivery uh, experience on board, getting a, a, an experienced mail server engineer on board who understands delivery and deliverability. Um, they set one up and then they forget about it and they realize like six months, a year, two years down the line that suddenly they're not delivering or they're not delivering optimally. Their, their program has grown and they can't deliver fast enough because they haven't 
tweaked around with their settings and then they go in and try and make changes and if you don't have a, a lot of experience um when it comes to delivery when you try and make settings changes you can do things like you know completely screw up your delivery to like Verizon Media Group for example just by changing one single settings connection um so delivery is is the first step in inbox placement um so if you're not if you're if you're falling over at that first hurdle um everything else is is just by the by you need to get over that first hurdle wow yeah that's awesome and i think that's something people don't really think about very often it's like you know we sort of see deliverability and delivery as this the same thing and it's like well my mail's not getting to the inbox and so it must just be a deliverability issue and it's, it's so hard to kind of figure out is, yeah, is that on the front end where it's actually a delivery problem or is it really something to do with your center reputation or, or something after that fact? So um, yeah, yes. thanks, awesome. I guess I'm curious, like how often would you say, like how much time do you think you spend? I mean, obviously your, your role is very focused on the delivery aspect, but do you, how often do you dip into the, what happens after the fact, like the deliverability part of it? Oh, all the time, all the time. So my, my role um, in uh, delivery operations, which is the team that I manage, we sit exactly firmly in between service operations who are managing all of like our infrastructure needs on a day-to-day basis for the whole company and the deliverability team um, mm-hmm. who handle deliverability and uh, compliance and anti-abuse and all of that kind of stuff. And our role sits literally 50 50 so i'm talking with deliverability team as much as i'm talking with the technical guys and like the back-end service side of things um so i'm in deliverability all the time and deliverability inbox placement reputation has such an impact on delivery like coming back so if uh, a client is struggling with inbox placement um especially if they're on a dedicated ip but regardless if a client is struggling with inbox placement almost certainly sooner or later they're going to start struggling with delivery issues as well yeah. um, because it gets to a point where your reputation gets so bad the mailbox provider sees your sending domain during that uh, smtp interaction it's just like yeah no, i'm not i'm not i'm not even no no go go away i'm not touching that <laughs> um so so yeah and, and you know that's sort of like the late stages of it in in the medium term you know you can get things like throttling um, and slowing down of sending so you know we get people saying you know why why is it taking so long for my campaigns to get out and it's like well you know this is what's going on reputation's not great and that's impacting your delivery so um so yeah so i'm i'm constantly involved with the deliverability side of thing and troubleshooting from a deliverability point of view it's really important to what i do there's only so much i can do with mail server configuration um there's no magic configuration there's like myths in in delivery deliverability isn't there there's there's the bat phone um which is the phone that we all have to the mailbox providers where i can just phone up gmail and be like meh accept my emails um and that's that's not a thing. And and then there's the idea that uh, if you're having delivery or deliverability problems, it's your ESP's fault because there's magical mail server configuration. You just you just put this in the in the configuration, just put this in the header, and then everything just goes straight to the inbox. And it's like no, that that's 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 not a thing either. So because I don't have that magic server config, I I have to be constantly involved with the deliverability side of things as well to to make sure that the the, the I'm working with the team that we are working with the customer to make sure that communication is flowing backwards and forwards so we can really get to the root of, okay, what's the problem? What can we try? How can we fix this? Right. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. And I guess, you know, this kind of bleeds into to sort of like my first question as we get down the rabbit hole of issue mitigation. Yay. Um, so I guess, can you can you walk us through sort of like some of the common reasons or I guess maybe mistakes that senders are making that that tend to cause deliverability issues? Like why, why are they even popping up? Yeah, I mean... I think one of the biggest causes is not seeing um, your email marketing strategy as a holistic program Mm -hmm. to achieve a goal. So not knowing what your goals are with your email marketing strategy or even the strategy for a specific marketing stream. You know, what is the goal for this? Do we just want people to open and read and absorb some information? That's where they are in the sales cycle. Are we trying to instigate some kind of action like making a purchase, engaging a service? Like what is the goal and how are we measuring success is really important to taking this holistic view. Um, But at the same time, you have to be able, there's like a micro and macro view 
new kind of balance you have to, to have to hit. So you have to be able to see this whole picture, but you also have to be able to go into the granular like micro details. So how are we collecting data? How are we managing that data? What kind of content are we sending? How are we, what kind of data are we collecting about people and their interests and what they're engaging with? And how are we then targeting that? Is it working? Like this constant process of iteration, like do it, see what's successful, see what's not, try something different, keep iterating over this process. Um, I think like stagnation in email marketing programs is one of the biggest problems um, that I see that cause deliverability issues. Um, and most of the time it's a stagnant data issue. So um, either, you know, we set up this form on our website ages ago, technology's moved on, there are new tools and techniques for um, confirming opt-ins, preventing uh, typos, that kind of thing, getting into our lists. And that form is just the only thing that's kind of feeding in and they just let that stagnate. Maybe they're just like sitting on data that they collected, that they've been collecting over the last 15 years and they never ever like cycle anybody out again and say like, hey, you know, this person bought a mattress in the last six months. They're probably not wanting a new one yet for a little while um or uh you know that kind of thing um and also yeah with like stagnation of uh targeting and segmenting so your your recipients and who you're sending to the demographics are always going to be changing a little bit as to who's interested in what what time of year is it um what are the latest kind of technologies what are the latest trends out there what are people like leaning more towards at the moment um you know, like for one thing, like I still see a lot of brands targeting um, by binary genders, for example. And it's like, it's 2020, 2021, dude. Like that's not, let's let's expand this a little bit. Let's start collecting some more data about these recipients. Is this really a binary like man or woman thing? Or is this more of like a mask fen kind of thing? And is there a little bit like different data we can start collecting sucks? targeting these uh, recipients in a different way that's going to be more authentic for them and, and like encourage them and, and therefore drive up our own like goals because we'll be making a different level of connection with these recipients so stagnation and this lack of like holistic and being able to go into the micro details I think are like the the most kind of common things if we really get down to like brass tacks when there's a deliverability issue it's it's almost always something in that ballpark. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those, like, I always just say, send emails that people find valuable in whatever way. And it's, it really is the, the truth though, because it's like, right. You want to get them to engage positively, opening, clicking, doing things like that, engaging, uh, converting eventually. Um, you want to reduce your spam complaint rates and even yeah. your unsubscribes. It's a sign that they're not really happy with the content they're receiving. Right. So, um, Absolutely. yeah. So I guess, um, okay. So we know kind of how maybe you're, you're triggering a deliverability issue, but I guess what's, what are the ways that people would perhaps become aware of that issue? You know, like so, is it a complaint from their CEO saying it went to spam? Is it a block of what is it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a bunch of different ways. Um, I think it comes down to kind of three main ways. One is they'll notice a reduction in performance. They're not hitting their targets. They're not generating the revenue or getting the open rates, that kind of thing. Um, and they may see a trend over time, or they may just suddenly notice that hey, like a year ago we were getting twenty percent open rates, and we're now getting six percent open rates. Like, what's up with that? Um, so that's one of the ways that we see it come in. Um, um, a complaint from a specific recipient, like whether it's the CMO who's just noticed that the email is, has gone into junk or whether it's um, one of their recipients complaining, like I missed out on this deal because I didn't see the email because it went to my spam folder. Um, yeah, a, a single report from a recipient can be enough to for, for them to start being like, okay, is there something like bigger going on here? Um, and then the other way is um, obviously like everybody's least favorite way, uh, but it shouldn't be, is an investigation by your friendly ESP compliance team. Yeah. <laughs> um, and people obviously that often see that as like a bad thing, like, oh no, here come the compliance police. But it's like, you know, we're here to protect our clients. We're here to educate our clients. We're here to say like, oh, something, something's going wrong here and, and we need to fix this. So that, like, and fundamentally the whole idea behind it is like, we want 
people to be successful when they're sending their emails, right? So like, you know, it's an opportunity to like, you know, using corporate speak, but yeah, compliance of investigation, it's an opportunity for you to review your strategies. Um, but it genuinely is like, and you know, compliance teams often have to deal with a lot of uh, not so fun conversations. So uh, friendly reminder to be nice to your compliance investigators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I will say, you know, it's funny because the compliance, you know, typically when you get compliance involved, it's because something is really going wrong, right? That's not just because your open rates are dipping a little low or your spam complaint rates a little high. It, it's because you're getting, you know, actual people complaining to the abuse desk or because your spam complaint rates are to a point where it's, you know, you're going to get blocked. You're really going to cause some damage for yourself or even just for, for that ESP's, you know, reputation themselves. So yeah, it's just, it's, you use that as an opportunity, not just to, to kind of get in trouble and be put in the timeout corner, but really to, to learn something to, you know, to be a better email sender and to really just be able to hit the inbox in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I would be really concerned about like, uh, if I was using an ESP where there was like no compliance team um, or no investigations going on, especially if I'm like, I mean, even as on dedicated IPs, like the, 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 reputation of the whole range is like really super important but especially on like shared ips like i'd be really super worried it's like so if I, i'm doing like i'm being a really good email marketer and, and doing all the good things but if somebody else isn't like what I, I, what's going to happen like are you like how are you protecting everybody who's sending using your infrastructure it's it's really super important yeah, and it's funny because you, you know we talked. You, you actually mentioned a myth of, of blaming everything on your ESP and saying it's their fault that you're not going to the inbox. But I think that's that is the one case in which I would say it is the ESP's fault if you're not, you know, policing your platform if you're not removing customers or kind of you know rate limiting customers if they are doing bad things within your your platform. That is your responsibility. So um, yeah, I, I do think that that's one of those cases where if you just have people that are just spammers all around you, whether that's a shared IP or if it's just you're sharing a range, even on a dedicated IP, that's definitely going to impact you at some point. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, it's a, it's a question that I always say, you know, if you're going through like an RFP process, like one of the questions you should be asking like ESPs is like, what are your compliance processes? Like, and, and checking that they're vetting you back like if your esp your prospective esp is asking you a lot of questions about how you collect your data how you manage your data how you segment and target and all that kind of stuff like you want to be asked those questions because they're asking everybody else who comes on board those same questions right yeah. um and that's that that helps you know that the the, the pool that you're going to go and swim in is pretty like nice and clean pool right right yeah totally yeah i love that and uh, yeah it is one of those where you kind of feel like you're getting grilled a little bit on the way in the door but but that really means that if you, if you kind of get past that point, if you become a customer, um, you're setting yourself up for success with that ESP. So. Yeah, totally. Love that. Cool. All right. Um, okay. So I guess, do you have kind of like a, like a specific workflow or questions that you might ask? So if somebody comes to you um, in any of those scenarios that you mentioned, whether it's a customer complaint or um, some other indication of a deliverability issue, like what would you, what would you ask? What information would you gather before you start giving recommendations? Sure, sure. I mean, first of all, we need to identify what the problem is, right? And if that's something like a block listing, that's super obvious. Um, but other things can be a little bit, a little bit more uh, up in the air. So one of the the really great questions is, um, are we seeing this for one recipient or many recipients? So is this just one complaint from your CMO for for them, but overall we're looking at the open rate, the click through rates, and everything looks fine? Or are we we get this complaint from the CMO and then we're seeing actually yeah there is a decline more generally? Um, and then we want to look at is this just one mailbox provider? Is this just like G Suite or Gmail or Hotmail? Or are we seeing this more kind of generally across the board? Because um, that's going to tell us a couple. Uh, one of two things right if we're seeing um, a problem with one specific mailbox provider then we know that we've got a reputation issue right with that with the, the that mailbox provider but if we're seeing an overall trend across the board of like decreasing open rates and stuff that's more likely to be a problem with the subject line uh, and the content that you're sending out um, that needs a little bit of a bit of a, a refresh there um, so that's where we start with and also like when did this problem start because then we can start asking questions around like what changed so like you know this problem started on the first of june last year okay what did we was there anything that we changed on the first of june did we start adding a different source of data did we find a list of recipients on a floppy disk in a 
drawer somewhere that we've just imported in there? Did we change up our content in some way? Um, all of those kind of things, the things to ask so we can start identifying like, okay, where potentially is this 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 problem coming on? Did we just do a big send to all, like just one time? We had to do one of those, like what are they called, the coal mines, the court ordered and legally mandated, I forget the rest of the acronym, um, but like her terms and conditions update, and legal said we had to send it to everybody in our entire database. Um, and just doing that one time can sometimes like really super tank reputation everywhere, right? Um, and, and can cause some issues. So so yeah, so we look for those, those changes and then I start asking questions about, okay, let's talk about your data strategy. Let's talk yeah. about how you're collecting, when you're sunsetting, like how, how long does somebody have, not have to open? Like, do you as a marketer have a really good idea, a confident idea of what your sales cycle looks like and where your recipients are in your sales cycle so that you are correctly targeting them with the right kind of content for where they, so you need to meet people where they are, right? Um, so do you, are you doing, are you doing that? Do you have enough data around that? Um, but yeah, I mean, are you using riskier sources? Are you doing some kind of like verification when you collect data, removing typos? Uh, are you doing confirmed or a double opt-in of some kind to make sure those email addresses are, are correct? Um, so one of the, the places where we, we super see problems is uh, like a point of sale um, collection of email addresses, which is becoming more, more common um, when, well, when we're allowed to go to stores anyway, um, which is, you know, do you want a paper receipt or I can I can give you an email address and I'll email you the receipt. Um, and then somebody through a mask um, is like trying to shout across the counter, potentially with some perspex in the way, like what their email address is and you get like typos in there and stuff. Um, so yeah, so then we're looking at all that kind of stuff and yeah, and like, you know, are you removing people who haven't opened a single email in the last, like however long are you doing, um, my, my line manager, Tanya uh, Plaza, she always says that um, every business should be able to plot a graph of how long somebody has been on an email program without opening an email the, and the likelihood that they're going to generate them any more revenue. Mm -hmm. And if you can plot that graph, you can then say, right, this is the time period after which the cost of keeping this, this recipient in my database, the risk of potential reputation damage if I sent to them um, has exceeded the likelihood that I'm going to generate any revenue from this person and I can safely remove them um, from my database or send them a last like one last hurrah of do you, do you, are you sure you don't you don't want to receive the emails but um, but yeah so making sure that like all of that kind of stuff is happening. Um, and then we can go into like some, if we're still not finding the problem, we can go into deeper questions. Um, and then we start talking about like the actual content, the links that are in the email and doing some investigation on those to see whether there's poor reputation associated with them. Um, asking around the use of affiliate content um, mm -hmm. or sending things out through, through other uh, ESPs and, and stuff like that. And eventually we, we, normally, we normally don't have to go quite that deep normally it's something much more obvious than that okay. um, but that's the kind of ballpark we're talking now yeah so I guess I mean that sounds really complicated so you're telling me there really isn't a bat phone that I can just call and oh yeah yeah yeah. no there's totally like let me just yeah. I'll, I'll get the number from you afterwards we'll keep it quiet <laughs> cool. um nice okay so okay so I, I think one thing that we hear obviously you just mentioned a whole bunch of different ways that somebody could have an issue and um and how you can detect it and the questions you should be asking um, I guess, you know, one thing we hear often is, is like, well, my issue just, just showed up out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden we got blocked. Uh, like, um, does, does that happen often? When, when does that happen? And I guess, um, what, what does that tell you if you're all of a sudden getting blocked versus, you know, is it usually something that's, that's kind of building over time and they just didn't catch it until they got blocked or like, what does that usually look like? I mean, it depends. I think there are two scenarios like that. So one is the gradual building up over time. So you can sit for a while as a sender in a kind of reputation like gray area um, where, you know, just enough of your emails are getting through and they're getting just about enough engagement to keep everything kind of ticking over and everything's kind of okay. Um, and then you do another send and that's just enough to tip it over the edge and all of a sudden 
you're in the doghouse. Um, so that is a thing that happens um, and that can happen, but it's not a sudden thing. It looks like it's sudden, but it's really not. And it's quite difficult sometimes to have those conversations because it seems sudden to the client. Um, and they're like, but we didn't do anything different this time. Like we've been doing the same thing that we have been doing for the last 12 months. And and then you're like, well, to be honest, that's that's probably it. That's that's probably the problem right there. <laughs> yeah, just that that gradual degradation, that stagnation that we were talking about earlier has, has happened. Um, and then sometimes, yes, we do all of a sudden um, see problems for like no apparent reason. And there's two kind of things. One of them is very mailbox provider specific mm-hmm. um, and the other one's kind of more general. The mailbox provider specific one is uh, our good friends at the old Microsofty. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Hotmails and the Outlooks. This is more of a problem on dedicated IPs than, than tends to be on shared IPs. But um, so Microsoft have the uh, SRD reports. So they've got that little group of like elite users who occasionally get sent an email, um, a random like mock email or whatever, and they get to decide whether or not they would consider that email spam um, or expected to be in the inbox and then a lot of waiting is placed onto that so you can and I I know because I've had this experience um, with warming uh, IPs especially is everything seems to be going fine and then all of a sudden reputation throttling and blocking um, on an IP and nothing has changed other ips that are sending the same traffic totally fine it's just one ip and it's just the luck of the draw that was just one or two too many of these srg reports and boom yeah it's it's not great and coming back from that is it's really hard it involves pausing traffic for a long time and, and re-ramping it's it's not fun but that is very microsoft specific pretty specific use case particularly for dedicated ips um, and it's really super kind of obvious the symptoms of that are very obvious when it happens the more common one is all of a sudden we're blocked everywhere and we've just added a new data source mm-hmm. and this data source is rented or purchased mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's just spam trap central and then it's if you hit some of the the worst ones um, and, you know, especially our, like, good friends over at, like, Spam House, you take this stuff, like, super seriously, yeah. you're in for all of a sudden sad times, but in those cases, um, it's super easy to resolve mm-hmm. in that you just stop sending to that rented or purchased data. Right. Yeah. 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 At least you know the cause, and so you can very quickly just pull it back out and say, oops, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Please forgive me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, cool. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned spam traps. So maybe it's a good time to kind of just dip in there quickly and kind of just talk a little bit about spam traps. Um, you know, there's a couple of different types. So if you can kind of just, you know, walk us through what the different types are, maybe if there is one that's more damaging or more dangerous for deliverability. Um, you know, basically, how should people use spam traps as like an indicator for a deliverability issue or resolving one? Sure. Sure. So, like, so there are a few different types of traps. So there's a typo traps. So this is where somebody will purchase the domain like uh, gmail.com, for example, as opposed to gmail.com. Um, and so people go around and they purchase these kind of common typo uh, domains that people might um, might accidentally write. Um, and then they set them up as, as traps. Um, and what this indicates is that uh, people sending to these traps, um, their data collection is uh, not as tight as it could be. Um, and especially that they're not doing some kind of uh, either a direct like API verification on their form um, or some kind of verification on, on the, the point of sign up that corrects this or, you know, just make that suggestion to use it. Like you put in gmail.com, did you mean gmail.com? Right. Um, and it also indicates somebody who's sending to lists where they haven't done like a confirmed or a double opt-in verification. So they haven't, you know, if you send that email to say, are you sure you want to subscribe with this email address and you send it to Gmail, that's going to bounce and then you're going to be like, yeah, no, we're not going to send to that. If you're not doing some kind of like confirmed opt-in or verif- uh, d- double opt-in verification, that, that's going to make its way onto your list. So so the typo traps are good for indicating, um, yeah, we, we've got a little bit of a, a looseness around our, our data collection 
section here that we can um, that we can uh, tighten up a bit. Um, recycle traps are old domains or old inboxes um, that have bounced. From, they should bounce for like six to twelve months. Give a hard bounce to say this isn't a thing anymore, um, and then uh, after that they can be converted into traps. So this can this can indicate like a couple of things. Um, one is that you're not doing proper data management, data hygiene. So either you're not removing hard bounces uh, from your lists when you send to them, and you're not emailing your lists regularly because it's important to you know, send an email, it can't bounce. So you have to be emailing kind of everybody regularly. Um, it can indicate that you've dug an old list out of uh, out of filing cabinet somewhere and, and stuck that in and tried to send to everybody. Um, and it can indicate that you're just, you're not uh, keeping up to date with who's opening and, and clicking your emails and stuff and not removing them. Um, it's pretty normal um, to have some recycled traps in a mature marketing list, um, but we wouldn't expect to be seeing a huge number. We especially, especially wouldn't be expecting to see a huge number um, of recycled traps ending up in like a new data source. So you get a new data source plugged in and then you've got loads of like recycled traps in there. That that's that's a sign that 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 data source is stale um but it's it but it, getting a few of these here and there sometimes in in your in your in your lists is 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 going to happen um if you've been if you've been doing email marketing for a while okay. um pristine traps are the interesting ones um because these are these are traps that are um these are mailboxes that will never have signed up to receive any kind of marketing material. They are set up from scratch to be spam trap addresses. <laughs> um, and these are the ones that are most concerning. These are the ones that tend to cause the most problems because if you're sending to people to, to email addresses that will never legitimately sign up to receiving emails, how you can't get consent from the person who owns that email address. So how's it ended up? in your list um and normally this is like one of two ways this is normally like purchase data uh, because this is what uh the, these these kind of traps they're not going to bounce they are just going to let you send so if you purchase data and even running it through like a validation type service unless a validator knows that this particular one is a trap uh, the email will be accepted um, so if you're just if you're just validating um, an email uh, address via whether or not the SMTP transaction is successful and the mail is accepted for delivery, um, you're not going to pick up that this is that this is a trap. Um, so a lot of the time it's some kind of rental or purchase data kind of situation brokers will pad out their lists with all sorts of nonsense um and these can be one of those they can be hidden in like the html of websites and things so if you've yeah. got crawlers that are going through websites looking for email addresses they're going to pick up these lovely pristine traps um and you can also get them again if you don't have an uh, if you've got an unsecured sign up form and you've got somebody um who's a little bit uh malicious like uh especially with those like little website popovers that are really annoying when you've been on the website for like two seconds and you haven't even scrolled to the product and all of a sudden it's like sign up for our newsletter and maybe you get a bit annoyed and so you pop a little email address in there and maybe it's a pristine trap and maybe they don't have confirmed opt-in and oh no um so yeah so so yeah so pristine traps are probably the worst but there are um depending on who they're run by this is the other thing because spam trap networks can be run by um you know the anti-abuse um, players out there, so spam cop and sorbs and uh, spam house and, and all those uh, awesome people looking after us on the internet. Um, so they can run those, but also vendors, uh, deliverability vendors, um, even some ESPs run their own like trap networks. Um, so there's a difference between what I like to call indicator traps and problem traps. So an indicator trap is normally run by um, either run by a vendor or like an ESP, somewhere like that, where they're giving you some data about how many traps like you're hitting and stuff. Um, or I would say some of the um, some of the block lists um, that 
aren't used a lot by mailbox providers to actually uh, stop mail coming through. So for example, Sorbs block listings um, are great indicators. They don't have a super big impact on whether or not you get delivered, um, apart from some uh, B2B type emailings that, that use Sorbs. But in general, if you're getting blocklisted by like Sorbs or if you're hitting traps that are run by your ESP or your deliverability vendor, that suggests that's an indicator that something is going wrong. Yeah. The problem traps are the one that you hit and they're run by Spamcock or Spamhouse or they're run by a mailbox provider themselves and they are used to actually either throttle your emails, jump your emails, or outright block your emails. Those are the problems. And what we can do is we can use the indicator traps to stop us from hitting the problem traps. Um, and so we can clean up our act and get things sorted before we run into actual issues that are hurting our revenue generation. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's, you know, that's one differentiation that I, I'm so happy that you, you brought that up because I think it's, you know, people look at, at traps, you know, within like kickboxes, we have our own spam trap network and people say, yeah, but those are, you know, those are sensor traps. That's not going to affect my deliverability. That's not going to, you know, prevent my messages from going to the inbox. But how do you know that, right? Like if we see that all of a sudden there's a huge spike in your spam trap hits within our network, chances are there's also an increase within those, those networks that do matter like spam house and spam cop and ones like that. So I think it's, it's, it's a matter of using that data properly and using it to kind of trace the issue back to the source, as opposed to just saying, oh, I see that we've got, you know, a hundred spam traps on our list. Let's go remove those. And, and now our magic, our issue is magically gone. Like that's not really how it works. Right. So, um, yeah, so I yeah. think that yeah, they, they are helpful, but they're they're not meant to to just be the only thing that you need to do, right? So oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like yeah, for every one spam trap that you remove, that is one that you know about. There are a 10, 20, 50, 100 traps in that list that you don't know are traps right. that you're then going to be emailing. So uh, yeah, absolutely, like totally agree with you there. It's 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 telling you something something's going awry. Don't like. The idea isn't to segment your list into smaller and smaller lists and send to each one and see if you hit a trap with, with this one. No, no, you need to go back. You need to figure out like how did these traps get in here to start with? Where is the weakness in my strategy? Let's yeah. fix that. Okay. Yeah. I like that. That sounds good. Um, okay. So I, I know another, so we talked about spam traps. I'd like to also, as you being the, the delivery expert, um, talk a little bit about bounces. Like, can you just kind of walk us through a, a bit of information that people should really care about when it comes to bounces and how those affect deliverability and delivery? Yeah. Um, so bounces are emails that haven't been delivered um, and they can occur in two different places so they can occur uh, during the SMTP transaction which is when like during the connection so during the SMTP transaction you've got your sending mail server and your receiving mail server like Yahoo and um, the servers are talking to each other to get the email sent across and then the receiving server says uh, now I'm not accepting this um, and so that's about that happens during that that transaction and then the second type of bounce is the asynchronous bounce that happens afterwards so um, the during the SMT transaction the email is relayed and it's accepted by the receiving mail server but then for some reason a little bit later on the receiving mail server actually says you know what actually now nah, and, and chucks it back so synchronous and asynchronous bounces and then you've got hard and soft bounces um and you've also got like a third type of interim throttling kind of bounce that happens during SMTP. I'll get to that anyway for the hard and the soft bounces um so a hard bounce is normally something that is a permanent problem so we're looking mostly at this mailbox does not exist um, that is like the, the typical hard bounce um, thing. Um, and we would normally say if it comes back with a hard bounce, which is normally a, a five dot uh, XX error code, that's, that's going to be a, we don't want to be uh, emailing this person again. There's a caveat, I'll get to that. Um, and then we have the soft bounces, which are tend to be temporary issues. So things like this person has gone on holiday for two weeks and their inbox is full. Um, though that would be uh, an example, or uh, maybe you might be on a block list somewhere and they might say, we're just not gonna accept this mail at the moment because you're on this block list, maybe go and fix that and then maybe we'll accept your mail later. Um, that could be another reason 
uh, for soft bounces. So soft bounces are the 4.xx uh, error codes and they, and they tend to be more temporary. I say tend to be with both of these um, because bounce codes are not standardized. And so sometimes we will see uh, temporary uh, things that come back that are temporary problems um, that come back that come back with a five uh, .xx code. And sometimes we will see things that we know are um, a more permanent possibly issue that will come back with a four .xx code. Mm -hmm. And then the content, like the content of the error messages themselves, um, the reason for the bounce. Some mailbox providers are more explicit and some are complete black box and you've got no idea. So sometimes you can get some really useful information in the bounce, like telling you you're on a spam block list, for example. Um, and uh, sometimes the information is completely an utterly useless and you have just like no idea. And you just have to trust that the five or the four is the correct thing to, to do with that. Um, so the, the big thing is that um, ignoring uh, bounces is a surefire way to damage your reputation. Um, so sending to a lot of email addresses that hard bounce because they don't exist, that is bad um, because that tells the mailbox provider that you are probably not getting consent from people before you send emails to them because uh, people, e email addresses that don't exist don't consent to receiving emails. Um, but at the same time, ig uh, ignoring soft bounces um, can also be an issue because they can tell you about some reputation problems. They can tell you um, about things slowing down. One of the kind of intermediate other kind of bounce is what I referred to as a deferral. Mm -hmm. um, this happens during the SMTP transaction. So the servers are connected together and your recipient server will say to sending server, and not right now, try again later. Um, and that can be for a bunch of different reasons. And it can be something as like innocuous as just like, like I'm, I'm like, I'm so super busy right now. Can you just like, just give me five, give me five. And then I'll have some resources and I'll be able to do this. Um, and that can go all the way up to like, dude, like the email you've been sending me has been really terrible and you're not allowed to send this many terrible emails. So like slow down how many terrible emails you're sending me. Um, so, and that again is really super useful information. Um, the, this can result eventually in a hard or a soft bounce if it keeps going. But in general, if you get a deferral during the SMTP transaction, uh, the sending mail server is just kind of configured to retry that and keep retrying it for like 48 hours um, or however long your ESP decided, 48 hours is normally enough, long enough to see if eventually it'll be accepted. Um, there are some times when I kind of like, I choose to like ignore this. So I know for example, that um, some mailbox providers, like mailbox providers where they have like, um, especially where they have like a large, they give their, their users like a large uh, amount of space to use. Like they give them several gig full of space for their inbox, right? Um, if I get back from one of those mailbox providers, the, the user quota is like full, like they've used up all their space, I'm like, They've got like 25 gig of space. Mm -hmm. That's an abandoned inbox right there. Like that's probably not going to be used. So I'm more likely to say, let's soft bounce this. Let's see if this happens again. This is not something that's going to be dealt with probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. So let's just like soft bounce it. The next time we send, we'll see if it gets delivered. Um, so there's, again, there's no standardization. <laughs> um, so you get to make some fun decisions about this um, but yeah but it's super important like throttling uh, SMTP errors like throttling and deferral errors during SMTP is super important to pay attention to sometimes you need to slow down it's especially important during ramp up when you're ramping up an IP or a domain sometimes you just need to slow down if you're sending too fast like slow down a little bit there's loads of useful information um, but uh, yeah ignore uh, bounces and deferrals at your peril. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's one, you know, especially with, with like a Gmail, um, they tend to push most of the mail to the spam folder, right? Like they don't actually block a lot of mail until you get to the point where your sender reputation is very bad or there's something seriously wrong with your email, right? So um, if you all of a sudden are start, all of a sudden are starting to see blocks at, at Gmail, I think that's that's definitely something that says, hey, hey, there's there's something seriously wrong here. Go fix that, right? So yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, let's maybe focus a little bit on the, the resolution side of things. So I guess, um, first of all, I guess, you know, like how, how long does it normally take to solve a deliverability issue? Like, is it, you know, I know that that's a, that's a, it's a painful process for people, especially when they're getting blocked. Um, so yeah, I guess you must hear this question a lot. Like when's my issue going to be solved? Yeah. And I'm going to give my like a uh, Batman villain answer here, which is how long is a piece of string? Um, <laughs> it depends. Like, how willing are you to do the hard work to figure out what the problem is and then get it fixed? How much resource do you have to be able to sort out problems with, like, getting a web dev to redesign a form or, or something like that, or getting your email devs to, like, redesign content to be more engaging? Um, how much buy-in do you have from your C-level? How much power do you have as a marketer to choose who you're sending emails to? Or are you going to have to convince layers of management that, um, that sending fewer emails is actually going to be better in like the long run? There are, what is the problem? Is it something like, you know, with Microsoft or is it something at Gmail? Microsoft is probably going to take a long, lot longer, a lot more time to resolve problems at, at Gmail due to differences in how they filter and uh, how they build reputation and, and stuff like that. So it is, um, yeah, it, it really does depend on so many factors, some of which are just the critical factors of making the changes, but some of which are more organizational um, challenges around getting buy-in from other teams, getting buy-in from senior people. Um, and it, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I have like a lot of uh, empathy for customers who are really struggling with this, especially when it's stuff coming from like the top down, um, because it's really, it's really hard for them. They're trying so hard and it's, it's difficult for them to make the changes they need to make. Yeah. And so I guess, I mean, like, you know, I'd imagine the, the, the knee jerk reaction is just sort of like, well, go file a ticket with Hotmail, get, get it resolved, get them to remove it, call, call the bat phone. Um, so, you know, so I guess, does that work? When should people be reaching out to Postmasters? And I guess, you know, especially if you are having to kind of, um, you know, manage upwards into a, you know, an organization where you have to get buy-in, like, how do you, how do you do that? How, do, what's the best way to go about all that? Yeah. So Postmasters help those who help themselves. So if you are not taking a look at what you're doing and at least attempting to demonstrate that you are making changes, postmasters are not good. They're not going to, going to want to know. Um, and even, you know, some of them, especially the larger ones, even if you have good intentions um, and you're starting to show improvement, like they just, they want to see it all fixed before they're going to jump in. And um, the more you email them and chase them and poke them, especially if you are not actually putting into action things, mm -hmm. the less likely they are to help you. Postmasters are people um, at some, like there's, a lot of them has like various like algorithms and things that kind of handle like initial responses. Uh, we're all familiar with Microsoft's um, support mitigation uh, process. It takes a while to get to a human being, but at the, eventually you're talking to a person, right? And that person is going to be more willing to help you if you have done everything you can to resolve the problem and you can provide evidence that you've done everything that you can to resolve the problem. And if you are kind, and polite when you're contacting them. So we rarely, if ever, get to the stage of having to actually contact a postmaster for any of the mailbox providers. And quite frankly, a lot of the time it's like shouting into the void because you don't often, you don't always get a response. Like sometimes you shout into the void and then things are suddenly magically fixed. Sometimes you shout into the void and nothing happens and then you think okay we haven't we haven't fixed this problem on our end so reach out to postmasters extraordinarily sparingly if it's your first port of call um you got the wrong tactics there my friend and only do it when you are really super confident that you have addressed all of like the fundamental best practice kind of issues that you possibly can before you start before you start reaching out um, because otherwise 
you think spammers don't send emails to postmasters asking for their messages to be let through? Like, of course they do. That's why, that's why you know, Gmail and Microsoft and everybody has all these complex and, and fantastical uh, algorithms that decide whether you're not, or not your mail is junk based on all these user interactions and stuff because the user interactions with your emails are, are a lot uh, more accurate an indicator of whether or not you are sending wanted email or sending spam than one person working as a postmaster looking at your, a sample of your email and deciding whether or not it should, it should go through. Um, so yeah, so make sure you're confident, use it sparingly. And when you do, remember that you're dealing with an actual human being and, and treat them as such. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think it's, you know, I almost see this as like a credit system where it's like you've got a certain number of credits and you can use them and you should use them very sparingly because once they run out, um, you've got a problem, right? So it's like maybe you can you can you can get that block removed by being like, oh, we did something, we changed something, please do you just beg, right? They might get they might remove that block one time, but if your issue comes right back and they're just playing whack-a-mole and they're having to just keep blocking you and then you say you fixed it and then you go back to business. Um, they're not going to be willing to remove that block the next time. It's just going to be that much harder and you're going to have to do that much more to kind of get back in their good graces. So it really is that 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 respectful approach that you really need to focus on. So love that. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, great. Well, let's see. Um, well, you, you specifically touched on um, Hotmail, which is a painful <laughs> destination for a lot of people. So I guess, do you have any, any tips? I think this probably folds into what you were just saying, but do you have any tips specifically for people that are frustrated with how long it takes to maybe resolve an issue there versus some other destination? Yeah, so with Hotmail and Microsoft in general, um, engagement really, really does seem to be a key factor mm. is sending to people who are reliably opening and almost always when we have real problems with open rates and things at Microsoft, it is an engagement problem and um, it requires laser targeting on really recent uh, engagers, uh, people who've opened and clicked emails really super recently and just focusing on them and, and really like targeting that content to get that great engagement. Um, with Microsoft, it's a case of persisting. So they do have these uh, various levels and oftentimes the first response you're gonna get is gonna be some kind of auto reject, like more information needed. We can't find any reason why your IP isn't delivering or IP does not qualify for mitigation at this time, um, which is the automatic or the automated response that hasn't come from a human. And you have to, um, and you sometimes have to go through several levels um, of backwards and forwards until you get to a human being and then a human being who can actually help. Um, so you need to be persistent. Try and be quick with your responses. Don't let the ticket go dead because you have to start that process all over again if the ticket goes dead. Um, but be reasonably patient. But if you haven't heard back on a ticket, uh, as if it's not a weekend and you haven't heard back on a ticket for 48 hours, do a little chaser, uh, but a nice, polite, like empathetic kind of little like, hey, things might fall off the radar kind of thing. Um, and uh, using the phrase or the word specifically escalate or escalation and mitigate or mitigation, that seems to feed the algorithm they use for organizing their tickets or whatever and get it in front of the people who need to, to see it. Um, and always including the IP that you're talking, that you're sending from, or the domain that you're sending from, always including any bounce error you might get back, um, including the alphanumeric gibberish that's included in that, because um, yeah, it's it's important for them to be able to find things on, on their, their system and understand what they're looking at. Um, but it is it's patience and it's persistence. Um, and it's one of those things where it really is better. I mean, it's always better to not have the problem, but really with Microsoft, it's really better to be putting in place all of the best practice things you need to do now before you have any problems to try and prevent having any problems because it is much easier to keep that momentum going than it is to claw yourself back after Microsoft issues. Mm -hmm, for sure. Oh, I love that. Um, cool. Okay. Well, that, that pretty much settles that one. And I think it's, you know, it's definitely... 
painful <laughs> dealing with Hotmail. Um, and that process feels so intense because you have your management or somebody kind of on your, your back saying like, hey, fix it now, what's taking so long? Um, it, 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 it's everyone's going through it. So just kind of hang in there, I guess. Um, cool, okay, well, I think we've, we've pretty much covered a lot of stuff here that's on, you know, finding your issues with deliverability and, and finding paths to resolving those. So um, Tam, I guess I just kind of have one more question for you, more of like a personal one. Um, and this is kind of more about like, you know, career advice, right? So if we've got some people that are sort of, um, you know, coming into this field, you know, if they're crazy enough to join us in the email deliverability space, um, what, what advice would you give to them to sort of just to, to, to really have an awesome career to be successful? Which, what's your, what's your tip? I mean, first of all, hi, welcome. You are very welcome. The more the merrier. Um, please reach out on LinkedIn and Twitter and come and talk to me and say hi. Um, so that would be my first thing. Um, I think my the biggest thing when you're coming into um, like working in this is whether you're working client-facing, deliverability, whether you're less kind of facing, you're working in delivery, mm -hmm. um, setting, managing expectations um, is so, so super important, um, especially when it comes to dealing with deliverability challenges is, um, or, you know, as an ESP onboarding new clients and they're ramping up on dedicated OPs or they're ramping up on, um, a new sending domain, um, setting and managing client expectations or colleague expectations working internally around the challenges that they can expect to face. Um, the fact that changes are going to need to be made, um, the time and patience it's going to take, like, really clearly up being really open and being honest transparent authentic upfront about what they can expect as you work through the challenge is so important it they appreciate that honestly everybody appreciates somebody who's honest and authentic and you'd rather hear upfront that this is going to take a bit of time than learn that however many weeks or months down the line especially if you're having to report this up to somebody higher um it allows you to really thoroughly do investigations um, and really work with them to get to the bottom of it. And it, it allows you to really um, to work with them on their whole strategy and set them up for success for months and years to come. If you can set those expectations up front, just say, look, it's going to be it's going to be fun. This is going to be a learning opportunity. It's going to be an exciting challenge. Um, but I want to work with you and we're going to do this, but it's not going to be a quick and easy process. Um, and it's much easier to do that and set that expectation at the beginning than it is to try and reset expectations later on. Um, this is an industry uh, where we have to have some really difficult conversations. We have to tell clients sometimes and, and send us sometimes we have to tell things that they don't really want to hear. Um, and those conversations are much easier. I'm especially, I don't like confrontation. I'm, I'm terrible at confrontation. Like don't shout at me, I will cry. Um, so like managing those and setting those expectations up front is a really great way to avoid having to have those confrontations later on. So that is the, the one thing I would say, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that is so helpful. And it is interesting, especially, you know, when you're working for an ESP and you're dealing with sales teams, right? And sales teams are trying to, to highlight how, how wonderful it's going to be when they come switch to your ESP. And they kind of, you know, they overlook that whole IP warm-up process and, um, well, the domain process as well. The fact that you need to go through a warm-up and kind of uh, reset everything. Um, you know, I, I think I had a conversation with a salesperson once who was like, well, so we have a client who wants to come on board but they want to send 20 million messages on day one from their dedicated IP. It, what do we do? And I said, you need to tell them that's not possible. And she was like, but I don't, I don't know how to tell them that. And I'm like, you got to tell them that because if you don't, if you don't tell them that they're going to actually switch to us. And then we're going to be stuck with this really painful conversation, this thing that's, that's not possible. Right. So I think giving that lay of the land up front to say, this is how it works. This is what's a realistic plan. Um, here's our conservative plan. If you want to go more aggressive, okay, but but we're on record saying we think that that's a little bit dangerous and here's why. So let's plan some contingencies and, and whatever else, right? So um, yeah, totally agree. It, it definitely is a lot easier to kind of, even if they don't listen to you, just say it, right? Be on record saying, 
what yeah. really is possible and what's not, right? Especially when you're right at the beginning of the client ESP relationship like that with a onboarding or, or a client vendor relationship, like setting the tone. I think it was um, it was Steve Henderson at Amasis who was talking about um, like changing ESPs and setting expectations in the same way as he was having a, 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 his kitchen renovated. Um, and he was like, I am halfway through a kitchen renovation. My sink is a cardboard box. We are cooking on a small gas, like uh, camping stove. And I just like, I can't wait for it all to be done. Right. But they told me at the beginning that there was going to be a period of several weeks where I wouldn't have a proper kitchen sink and I wouldn't have a camping stove. And they gave some expectations on how long it would take. And they are updating me and we're on track. And, you know, it's taking some time, but I know this is going to be amazing when it's done. And they've told me everything up front. So as much as I'm like not liking it and it's not the situation I would want to be in, it's okay. I'm not mad at them. I'm not resentful. I'm not feeling anything like that towards them because everything was set up front. Yeah. Um, and I often think about uh, Steve in his kitchen when, uh, when when we got new clients onboarding and stuff and just like, yeah, setting, setting those expectations about gonna be a while, you yeah. don't have a kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah, that is a great visual. That's a, that's a really cool analogy. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And thanks Steve for, I guess, renovating your kitchen, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, cool. I, I, I guess email geeks, I think we, we did it. We, we've come to the end of another episode. So. Um, you know, hopefully by now, after listening to, to us have this conversation, you're having a better understanding of kind of how to diagnose your deliverability issues, as well as how to resolve them, which is, I think, the most important part, right? Um, it's not always an easy process. In fact, it takes a lot of steps, a lot of asking questions, a lot of gathering information. Um, but it really, you know, if, if you're able to kind of improve your email program, as opposed to just kind of looking for shortcuts and trying to get that quick win, um, your email program is really going to, to kind of succeed in the long run because of that. Um, not to mention, you might be able to resolve your deliverability issues more quickly um, and maybe even one day start preventing them from even happening in the first place, which is just a, um, maybe it means I, I don't have a job and Tam doesn't have a job one day, but we'd, we'd love that if it means that your emails are going to the inbox without our help. So um, yeah, so I guess, um, you know, if this is the first episode that, that you folks are tuning into, um, I will give a call out to note that we are actually now um, on a lot of different podcasting platforms. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Anchor. We've got eight different episodes. This is number eight, but go check out all the other ones if you haven't yet. Um, and honestly, thank you so much for being here, Tam. It was, it was really fun chatting with you and I, I hope our audience learned a lot. It's been awesome. Thank you. Yeah, great. All right. Well, talk to you soon. Okay.